the genuine curious nature of a coach like just being fully curious with someone even dropping the whole I'm even going to try and get you as a client like I just just to be able to have a conversation um, with a prospective client but without thinking about that is just just finding out about somebody and I think they they probably will give you some some of the the cues anyway I mean we hadn't spoken for about a year before we got back in contact and I just remember that what it felt like to have a conversation. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Coaching Life Podcast, where we peel back the bull crap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. So we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to be exploring the impact of coaching and personal development um, on someone who's not currently a coach, at least. Uh, today's guest is a client of mine. We began our journey together uh, about three years ago, September 2015, um, although we actually met at a Robert Holden event in San Diego about a year before that, and we recently spent some time together on the beautiful Greek island of Zakynthos. That was a whole lot of fun. Um, one of the things I admire most about today's guest is his willingness to invest in his own personal development and his willingness to explore, constantly explore, how he can be living his most loving life, one that also has a positive impact on others. And we do share, I think, a similar sense of humour, which, of course, is right up my street. And as someone who loves to use technology to enhance our lives... Um, Give me great pleasure as well. I always turn into a little bit of a boy here when I think, oh my God, I'm connected to somebody like on the other side of the world. I think it's fantastic. Anyway, so a big warm welcome to my dear Australian, almost British friend, Brenton Hughes. Hello, Brenton. <laughs> G'day, mate. How are you going? <laughs> uh, brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on here. No, thank you. So, um, yeah. So can you tell us, Brenton, a little bit about perhaps your initial exploration into personal development how did that come about how did you how and what and when did you start looking in this direction and what was going on in your life at the time Ooh, um i'll probably i won't do the long version i don't think phil because there is a quite a long version that almost goes back to childhood for me when i first had a a whim about you know there's something more than just what i see in front of me um, actually, I will just mention it, that a friend of mine's mother gave me a book, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind, when I was about 15 or 16. Um, I didn't read all of it, but the, it just had a, it, at that time had a profound impact on me. So what was going on then? It's just that, you know, mid-teens life of a boy. Um, <laughs> So, you know, and and even though, the, you know, there's a whole lot of pressures and things like that uh, around life at that time and, you know, just to sort of read something a little bit different that I wasn't accustomed to was certainly something that was uh, quite significant. Like I say, I can't remember the detail now, but um, that was sort of the first look into it. Um, but fast forward, you know, 
Oh, I would say a number of years, probably even through my 20s. Um, you know, it was just living that life of, you know, expansion kind of thing in the world where you're just wanting to do all this stuff and it's partying and, you know, drinking and uh, just having a whole lot of fun with your mates and all that sort of thing. And as I said, that was right through my 20s. Um, in my 30s, I came out, or beginning of my 30s, I came over to England, did a bit of work. Um, and even so, I would say while I was working over there as a nurse, there was I, I started to have some inklings of something more, sort of seriously about something more um, in life than just what I'm doing day in day out, um, and just all the stuff. Uh, I think things like uh, vanity and and I mean vanity in a sense of objects as well, like you know, just having stuff was just starting to be something that was becoming a topic within me, if I could put it that way. Um, and as I said, I'd, I'd quite a lot partied and all that sort of stuff. I actually had this phase in my life for a very small period of my life where it was in about 2012, and I think I'll relate Robert in here again. I saw Robert Holden at an, at an I Can Do It event in Australia, and he talked about this whole idea of being um, – the dysfunctional independent person yeah. and all what that means and that really triggered some stuff in me and I so I ended up going through this process at some point after that where I was thinking in my head I remember one night at home going how does everybody know me no everybody knows me as like a drinker a guy that likes to have a party and all this sort of stuff and I had a, a some kind of crisis around that you know like I really thought well nobody knows me and and so then I just started this further exploration of, you know, deeper meaning in life. You know, I went and sat for 10 days on a silent Vipassana retreat. <laughs> you know, like I've done lots of different stuff. I've done, I've done Reiki healing. I've done some other energy healing. I've done or I'm prepared to give lots of stuff a go. Yeah. Um, and then coming forward to, was it 2014, we met that... Um, Again, it was a, uh, one of Robert's events and, I mean, just making the decision to come to that event was like, so I travelled 14 and a half hours one way on an aeroplane <laughs> to go to the US for six days and then come home, you know. So then already I, I was starting to make a monetary investment into myself, not just looking at a book here or that sort of thing. I was really, that's where I see I was starting to make a commitment. I'm curious um, how, like, just at that point, uh, um, looking back on that, can you see, is how did that make sense to you to start, like, okay, look, I really want to go deeper with this. I'm willing to spend some serious cash at the end of the day. It's not cheap, as you say, to uh, not just money-wise, but, yeah, it's... it's uh, I mean, I was I was in the US, I think, at that time for about two months. You know, I, I, I wouldn't dream of just flying there for a few days at a time. So, so what was going on to have that make just to make more sense? Well, I, I think the flavour of the I can do it conferences. If I go back to those conferences, there was two of them in a row, and then after that, there was no more. So. I tried to look around in Australia at like other things that were available, like so that weren't just the run of the mill. And I, and in what I looked at, the only things I could find that that um, what's the word 
that felt aligned with me, and particularly because I'd, I'd not met Robert, but I had seen him previously, mm-hmm. and I saw this event come up in the US, and just to me it was just like, well, I don't see these, these events out here or I don't see these people coming out here to Australia, so I need to go to them. So I guess I'm wondering what was it like. So if if I um, I used to go to a lot of beer festivals, definitely not so much nowadays. But that to me that's quite obvious. It's like yes, I loved beer and yeah. I wanted to try all the different flavors. So I'm wondering what it was that was drawing. What did you think you were getting, or what had you already got that you wanted more of that was having you, like you say, fly halfway around the world? Okay, so for me, a big, big part of it, now that you ask it that way, is connection with other people that are there. That's actually a huge part of it. I I know whenever I've walked into those rooms, there might be 50, 100, even 1,000 people in there. I actually love to go just to be in the energy of the room and speak to someone or many people over the course of a few days that are of like mind. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and that's that's kind of the reach out. And I've always found it easier to go into a room where you sort of got an idea. There's people of like mind. Whereas when I've tried to bring up it as a converse, the topic of conversation with either strangers or even friends I've known for years and years and years, sometimes they look at me like I'm speaking another language hmm. because they don't get. They're not. Well, they just they just don't. Have the experience that I've had. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and th- this is an interesting point. And just by the way, so like, I I really relate to that as well because at the time I'd been immersing myself in um, a, a particular kind of coaching training. Let's just say that. I mean, regular listeners will be able to put two and two together and know what I'm talking about. But but I came to that Robert Holden event. It was literally three days after a completely different style event where the energy was completely different where i i actually was feeling a little bit more of an outsider there was a lot of egotistic stuff going on there was a lot of it looked like there was a lot of hierarchy um and yeah a lot of a lot of outside in stuff in a way even though it was being presented and talked about from an inside out perspective um it was you know much more focused perhaps on from a coaching perspective um the monetary aspect of it charging strong fees being a high ticket sales all that kind of stuff and then walking into that room i mean i didn't know a soul except i felt like i i was known to every soul in that room in san diego and just um just felt loved in a way that i hadn't felt walking into a room before actually had a bunch of people and you know the energy there was very de- robert was, was such a f- a breath of fresh air to what i've been used to um in that some of, the, some of my previous events like the 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 main guy shall we say would disappear at lunchtime so he, he was very inaccessible whereas you and i know you go to a robert event he outside you know there's general constraints obviously if you've got 200 people in an event but he is generally very accessible you know he comes he would come down and dance on the floor with us you know immediately after lunch as part of like this energizing exercise and, and indeed participate in those the the beautiful greeting exercise at the start of the day yes. um yeah. so really really relate to that but you also touch on a, on a point on a point here which i think is worth exploring because i see this often as well and and um 
almost pains me sometimes to see it, particularly in couples where it seems to have an impact on intimate couples where perhaps one person grows, develops, evolves, whatever we want to call it, changes, sees the world differently. Um, and their partner or indeed their closest friends don't. What's been your experience of that? Um, there's certainly been quite an experience around that and I still am having it now and I think it's something that you just continue to have in your life in some respects. Um, and why I say that is I just, I think what happens is like you grow up, like you grow up culturally, you grow up with friends, you know, family, all that sort of thing. There's a way you grow up. There's a way you've you've grown with those people and you've kind of all changed. I don't know. I think you, we all, you all kind of change towards some kind of commonality over a long period of time and over a lot of years. Um, and so that's comfortable. And then when you go, when someone, so when, when I've sort of taken a step away from that and gone to do these other courses or I've done you know, some other reading that's helped, that's, you know, that's, you know, uh, touched me and it's caused me to, you know, consider where I'm at now. Um, and then you build relationships in that other direction. Now, when you get to that point, do you make a choice and go, well, right, I'm leaving everything behind and leaving everybody else behind and I'm going to go with this new group? And some people may choose to do that, but the old group's your family, as well mm. so where i'm getting to is that you're still going to have conversations with people that may be coming along with you but you're also going to be having conversations still or some people may choose not to but i still have conversations with people that aren't interested in this area of where i'm going to and so in some respects and i've talked about this a bit with a number of people i know i have with you phil that i feel like i'm almost living a double life mm. you know i've got this life of um, I suppose uh, self-exploration um, and a bit of um, probably truth-seeking and what and, and that truth, I mean, what is the truth? I mean, gosh, that's a whole thing we could talk about for a couple of hours, I'm sure, and then probably decide it's all a load of bullshit anyway. Um, <laughs> I think we did that, right, quite recently. Yeah, I'm sure we did. <laughs> um so, so with this truth-seeking, I guess, that's led me into some of these courses and to meeting other people, um, and that's a particular pathway to go. Um, what I am finding more with that pathway now is that I'm generally bringing up themes or ideas around that, whether it's just about self-development. I'll bring that up a lot more quickly in a conversation with people I don't know now. Whereas before I would play the, the older version of me and just be the, you know, the good guy, someone to get on with, or that won't say anything too sort of outlandish to begin with or anything like that. I'll just sort of um, get to know someone fairly gently and if we can strike up a good conversation, I might mention these other things later. Mm. Um, but now I'm doing it a lot more because I'm a lot more comfortable there. And, and what I'm actually finding is that people from the – I'm now sort of heading more. I seem to be spending more time with people in uh, this exploratory part of my life than I am with the people of where I was in growing up. 
So yeah. that's moving. Um, but just touching on your point, Phil, if you're in a relationship and you've got that difference, um, look, I, 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 you can't say there's any finality in it. No, no. Either way. I don't you think know, there's I, a single I, answer as such. There's no single answer to, to, to that. I'm not even sure what the yeah, question well, is, of course, but it's, um, yeah, it's something to navigate. I mean, to to me, it's it's. Um, I might describe it. This just occurs to me now. Really, describe it as a as a change, as a shift from people pleasing to people loving. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you know, to please, I might hide aspects of myself and I might just talk about things that maybe I'm not so interested in anymore but yeah whatever to please you but I can stop doing that and still love you and yeah I'm being curious and interested in you and want to want to spend time with you Um, but in my loving you I might share with you some things that just look true for me now yeah yeah and I, th- I think that's something too. So with the people that have been in my life for many years now, having gone down the path that I have, when I'm having interactions with them now, I'm finding exactly what you're saying. I, I feel far more loving towards them. And actually, I'm probably far more curious about them now than I have ever have been. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. And this whole thing around truth, actually, I've been reflecting on this recently because I had a friendship that that broke down really because um, of some deceit in it. And I and I realised that I've uh, I'm probably more compassionate than I've ever been. And I know that people, you know, tell lies out of fear, and I have compassion for that. But I'm I'm kind of less tolerant of actually wanting to be part of that and to be. Yes to have the dishonesty in my life. I guess I'm much more honest now than I've ever been. I don't know if I'm being entirely honest with myself by saying that. That's kind of the irony of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like the idea of that anyway. I think, oh, yeah, I like that idea of Phil. Yeah, that he's always honest. Yeah, of course, that's not the case because I'm human, right? And I have fears too. But um, just in, re- in that reflecting, I can see that that, that thing around honesty I'm not going to say it's become more important. Well, I, it looks to me that I'm owning how important that is to me. Mm. Yeah. So with all of this exploration, Brenton, um, so you touched on your, um, you're a previously a nurse. As part of this exploration, how, what, what was anything changing? What were you seeing the profession differently? Were you, how did Brenton as a nurse change as part of this exploration, do you think? Look, I, I certainly think uh, that was a big part of it because in about, well, it was 2008 actually, I stopped working on the floor as a nurse, as we say, um, and I became a nurse educator. So I was teaching, primarily teaching um, not in the clinical space, more responsible overseeing the overseeing of education, so a much broader role. And I think that pl- that alone played a huge part in some of these, you know, courses and that I went on. Um, 
being in the role I was, part of my, a big part of my role and it became a larger part of it or it's a part of the role that I liked to do a lot more in the last couple of years was developing the clinical educators. So for me, it was about, you know, how can I help personally develop um, these clinical educators? Now, something we did where I worked and I know it's fairly common in a lot of clinical settings, whether it's nursing or medicine or allied health, it's a thing called clinical supervision. And um, we we did some uh, training within the health service that I worked for um, around clinical supervision. And some of that training was actually around about that 2014, 2015 period of time where I was going overseas and doing a couple of these courses with Robert. Um, so whilst I got trained in this kind of, um, well, this clinical supervision, I found it very narrow. I actually found it hard to keep to it. And what I mean by that is it's a relatively narrow focus around it. So it's, um, you know, we're relating it very strictly to what's happening within the workplace. It's not bringing anything from outside the workplace. Um, and I just know from a couple of the courses I did and one or two of those actually were some three-day courses on the Enneagram here in Australia and just the way the exercises in those courses got you to ask some questions about yourself and you're usually reflecting them with another person. But to me, I just really learned across a number of those experiences that it doesn't matter what you bring to a conversation. If it's going to help you do whatever it is you're doing, then we should allow it or that, that I should allow it in my role. So what changed for me when I was doing clinical supervision is I actually started saying to people, I, I had a spiel on this is what clinical supervision is, and I'd say, but... I also want to offer you the space to bring anything here that is impacting your life at the moment. And that only came from exploring some other areas because, I mean, knowing me, if I had have just hadn't have done all those other courses and looked in other areas, I'd have stuck to a script of clinical supervision and, uh, look, oh, gosh, I don't even know where I'd be right now. Um, so having that exploration into other areas actually in the long term allowed me to start to walk down another path. Mm. And as you alluded to slightly in the beginning there is, that, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, the coaching pathway as a potential for me, whether it's one-on-one -on -one coaching or it might end up being something bigger. Um, really at the moment I just see that I'm, trying to learn more about having conversations with people. Mm. Mm. We touch, we, we've touched on this as well before. So having conversations with people, let's, let's just explore a little bit about the differences, the subtleties perhaps in that, because, you know, we, we've, we've been fortunate, right? So we've, 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 we've hung out socially. We've done some face-to-face -face coaching. We've had, you know, it's just magical walking along the beach and, and chilling out, looking over the, the beach and and yeah, we've spent many hours talking like this over 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 Skype and over video. 
Um, what's your preference? <laughs> no, my question is not oh. quite as simple as that, really. But it is like you know, what do you what do you make of all of that, and what do you what do you notice um, the subtleties in 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 all of that? I the first thing I'll say straight up, I don't think I could do it over a telephone call, like a like without the visual. I think there's got to be some kind of uh, can I say like a, a, a visual relationship as well. Um, I, I don't think it'd be anywhere near as effective um, and without that. It's interesting, Brenton. Just so just on on that point. Um, is that so I have you know coaching colleagues and friends who much prefer just doing audio only and it's never been my thing I've tried it I love to be able to see that that person in front of me even if it is just you know in a bunch of colored pixels on a screen yeah yeah oh look I think if it's if it's just a, if it's a touch base or it's mm-hmm. a, to get in contact to ask a question or something mm-hmm. like that yeah fair enough but um, I know for a long, longer conversation, I, I've got to have. Well, for me, I've got to have that face to face. Look, I think um, originally I wondered how good it would be on Skype or Zoom or whatever it is you know process you want to do, um, but I've n- I've never had an issue with it whatsoever. Like I I just I've really um, it's just great to be able to have the access. You know whether you. Even if you were, you know, living 10, I'll use your language, 10 miles down the road or, you know, <laughs> around, around the other side of the world, like that's the, that's the beauty of it is that we can talk on the opposite side of the world um, at the opposite time of the day and, um, you know, we can still connect and we can still have something meaningful. Um, what I, what's really great about this part of it is that we can record it. Yeah if we want to, and then I can look back at it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we're having a face-to-face, like in each other's presence, I think it's more just you get a lot more, you get a, a more a physical connection in some way of just being there with someone. Like you, you actually can feel the, the space held a little bit more, I think, when you're face-to-face. Um, and it's it's a little bit more tricky, I believe, to to record it. Like, I mean, we never have when we've been face to face. But I wouldn't necessarily want to record it face to face, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, I know there's some things I'm I'm glad we haven't recorded, Brenton. That's for sure, face to face and yeah, Greece and whatever. But anyway, yeah, um... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that, as you know, I ca- I carry around a backpack with me everywhere when I'm travelling, and um, yeah, I've always got a notebook handy. So you know, that's how I like to um, <laughs> you know, record certain things that come along. Um, but the one thing I, I do want to add, and again, this is a personal experience for me, but particularly. Um, what I liked about going to Zakynthos was that opportunity to walk, to walk and talk, just to be moving um, and not necessarily talking about coaching or what I'm, you know, wanting to speak to you about all the time. You know, you can walk around a corner and see a beautiful view and you can just take that in for a while. Um, I just find for me, I mean, I'm someone similar to you, likes to walk a lot. Like I walk and walk and walk and walk and I find that's a great way to clear my head, to settle my thinking um, and sort of not put too much pressure on the thought, if I could put it that way. And it just allows, to me, having a physical 
flow in movement allows the the movement within the you know my head and my heart as well to just you know flow along um and i just think walking is a really nice way to do it and if you can do it in a beautiful place then why not so i'm wondering about coaching overall because you know despite what we might say oh i'm completely open-minded and what have you i think um there are very few situations we go into in life without any kind of preconception let's face it so i wonder for you um perhaps is there anything particularly that surprised you um in any coaching you've had um just have to reference me um but in in any kind of coaching you've had is there anything that particularly perhaps surprised you that was different perhaps from any preconceptions you had or indeed you know any 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 time that we'd spent together you know one-on-one in in that coaching relationship Mm. i look i think something that i had not even really thought about was just how significant the like and this is um well with most of the coaching conversations i've had and they're different ones but for me again the worst thing i can get from a coach is advice like you know try doing this but just to come back to your question what was the bit that surprised me i don't know whether surprise is quite the right word but what i found it was well the most effective coaching for me was when i've just been led to finding my own answer um and, and allowing, and I think allowing some, just some space and some time within whatever the conversation is to allow my thoughts to settle and to find a deeper, truer answer for me for whatever's coming up. Um, I, so that's part that I hadn't even thought about. Um, the thing I really like too is being called out on my shit. (laughs) So, do you know, and and just the stories, like, honestly, I didn't, I had no idea just the level to which I tell stories to like, you know, I tell stories to myself in order to get by day by day, you know, (laughs) you know, in all aspects of life. Um, and particularly, around those stories, the limitations they've caused me. So this reminds me of, um, there's kind of a, a, it's not really a dilemma, that's kind of a um, strong word perhaps, but we just see that in in various areas of personal development where we can explore, um, there is this danger perhaps of some things or us taking things as being prescriptive rather than descriptive. So you and I are both fans of the Enneagram. We've had a lot of fun exploring that. And I know you, you've done a lot of work looking in that direction. And we've chuckled to ourselves, right? Cause we both identify with aspects at least of, of mm-hmm. some of those types. You know, I think we can all identify with aspects of all of them in some respects, but um, the, clearly there's a difference between like recognizing, Oh yeah, I have that going on with me rather than um 
okay, that's that's for me to live into. There's an identity there. Have you caught yourself falling into that kind of trap? Uh, look, I would absolutely. Um, it's, it's actually something that's been around me very recently. And um, so where I... Gosh, the way I've even talked about it. So I'm a particular type. Like I'll just, I'll just say the numbers here anyway. But you know, I've always, I had previously identified as being a type nine. I won't go into it much more than that. <laughs> but I did find that at times I was almost when something was happening, my response, I almost felt like I was putting it through a number nine filter. Mm-hmm. You know, and not just. Um, either reacting or even taking the experience in in a uh, a more open way and a more curious way i've just sort of put this filter up of our oh, type nine it's going to come through and it's going to go back out that way um and there's been a number of things just happening recently where i've actually seen i'm identifying um, and looking back across the spectrum of my life I can see where I'm probably actually sitting somewhere else on the Enneagram. And for the people, you know, that may or may not know it, but I seem to be more at six than at nine, and there's a relationship there, and that's okay. But what I found, as I think I said to you, Phil, a week or two back, that now that I can see that I'm here somewhere else, I may be sitting somewhere else on the Enneagram, I actually, it it doesn't matter. Like, I now think it doesn't matter, whereas before I was like, I'm a nine, I'm a nine, I'm a nine, (laughs) and, you know, I'm going to wave that flag and all that sort of thing. But now that I'm looking at, gee, maybe I'm I'm sitting somewhere else, I I actually don't have as much of a rule book around it. Mm, I love that. I love that. The freedom, the the underlying freedom in seeing that is is magnificent. Um, And... Yeah, I relate to that too. So I I always think a clue here is, um, am I amused by it or not? Because I think you know, joy is a is a wonderful guide. So uh, you and I we had a chuckle because there was some, so so type nine for listeners who don't know is is really all about keeping the peace and not wanting to perhaps encroach on others. And there, there was just a little thing that when when Brent and I were in Greece and there's a very small set of steps. So and, and and neither of us took the steps because we wanted to leave them to the others, and that's kind of really typical of that type nine behaviour. But there is that danger of, of you know falling into that trap. Oh, I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert. Therefore, you know my behaviour in this way. Okay, it can make sense, but is it justified and is is it, is it limiting? I always say you know when we when we define we confine because you know we are limitless. You know, in 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 that respect, it's the difference really between being a noun and being a verb. You know, we're 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 verbs. We're we're very mm. we're very transient. We're beings. Yeah, yeah. I've not heard that uh, relationship or that metaphor before. Mm. Mm. So lots of training, Brenton. We've already touched on you know jumping on airplanes, flying halfway around the world. Um, lots of investment there um you know it's not look and and you were a nurse so okay so I'm not going to talk numbers here but you know it's not like you're richard branson's son or anything like that so clearly there's some there's some we all when we spend money we feel 
there's something in us that we're either I don't think you you certainly don't come across as as reckless and it's just going to say oh fuck it I'm going to do it but having said that there might have been something that had you reached that conclusion of yeah fuck it I'm going to do it so what's that looking back on that what's that been like like um, because very often um, we don't get tangible returns on investment how does that whole thing look 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 to you um you know what what has been your return can you can you describe a return on investment even though it probably is intangible i in short it's no like in short like i when i say no i it's very hard to put into words what the return is Mm. but and where I say it's hard to put into words, I think it's probably hard to put into words the enormity of it. And I'm not even going to try, like because <laughs> I could start. I'll just ramble. Um, I know in the early stages where I first started looking at coaching, like uh, well, getting involved with you, um, Phil. I know very much so. Before I even contacted you, I was just like, oh, how much is this going to cost? How much is this going to cost? How much is this going to cost? And I and I just seemed to I just seemed to be hung up on it. You know, I wasn't even thinking about why I wanted to do coaching. Like what why did I even want to come and speak to you? Like what was it I was after? And I just think that whole hang up on cost is for me, was just it was just another one of these obstacles, another one of these limitations, these stories that I told myself. And um, realistically, I mean, I, I don't remember it exactly, but for me, once I sort of got out of my own way, it was more about what's the value if I can get the things I want in life or head in a direction that I want to head in. And actually, because a lot of my stuff, so when I started with you, I didn't want to start earning $50,000 a year more. I didn't want to own a car. I, like, or, you know, I didn't want to own a bigger, better car. I've got friends I can drive their Ferraris. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Saw that picture on Facebook recently. Wonderful, yeah. <laughs> um, so... The actual what I wanted to end, or what, why I entered into a coaching relationship, particularly with you, it wasn't something that had a, was quantifiable. It was more about looking at life a bit differently, or as we've touched on already, living more my truth in a much bigger area of my life, not just in this narrow I'm following a truth pathway. Um, I'm actually living more of my truth in all areas of my life. Yeah, I love and, that. So, so, so I'm kind of wondering. So, it it it's primarily, from what I understand, <laughs> coaches that listen to this podcast. So, if you if you know bearing bearing that in mind, like, what's your message to them f- for them to help them to see people like you, their prospective clients, for them to help their prospective clients to get to that point of you know what fuck it yeah i'm gonna do it um let's see what happens i'm i'm all in um well again i i think it's about and we've we've touched on this throughout the conversation i think phil but it's it's about really i 
And I know you've used you've used this before, and listeners to the show might well know you say this word a lot. But I mean, the genuine curious nature of a coach, like just being fully curious with someone, even dropping the whole "I'm even going to try and get you as a client," like I just just to be able to have a conversation um, with a prospective client, but without thinking about that, is just just finding out about somebody and I think they they probably will give you some some of the the cues anyway I mean we hadn't spoken for about a year before we got back in contact and I just remember that what it felt like to have a conversation like a deeper conversation with you and that to me was why I looked you up and didn't go anywhere else like and then um there was no there was no pressure on anything. It was just it was everything I felt personally. Everything was completely and utterly up to me. Um, and I think and I don't well. I'm not someone that does well with a lot of rules around things. And I think we started having a conversation and we talked about what it might look like. But you didn't say to me, right, there'll be a call every second week and during each one of those calls we'll start with an introduction, we'll catch up on what we did, there'll be a 10-point plan at the end of each conversation and we'll explore each one of those. It just It's what came up. Hmm. And that's what came up in the conversations before we even got into the actual structured let's, you know, let's organise what, what it is we're going to do. We just had conversations, and whatever came up came up, and um, I don't know whether that's. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's beautiful to hear, and and thank you. It's, it's it's also beautiful to hear it mirrored back because certainly that is the intention here. It's just really just to be to be in that person's life in in whatever way yeah. that um, we both um, want, agree on, and that is helpful and beneficial. Yeah. So how, yeah. They're, 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 actually, there can't really be rules. I mean, we can talk about boundaries and things like that but I, I even think that that's not always helpful to go in that i mean um you know i don't i've never had rules as such explicit rules perhaps with a with a with a loved one you know um you just you're just there and you just love them it's kind of that simple that at least that's how it looks to me so yeah it's wonderful to hear that back what's next for you brenton um <laughs> Yeah, I know, and I, I'm laughing here because obviously I do know a little bit about you, but it's up to you. What are you willing to share, of course? Um, and, I, and I know the enormity, perhaps, of that question, but you know, I'm curious how that looks to you today. What's next? So just to let your listeners know, I am, going, uh, I am currently in the middle of doing some um, coaching training, um, with a group in the UK. Um, and so I'm actually coming over to the UK three times more in the next seven or eight months. That's to come and my Australian, almost British friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm coming over there a bit to complete the course that um, I've started now. And Everything is in a state of flux, as you know, Phil, um, in my life at the moment. Um, and even at, even right now where we talk about, when I think about 
what's coaching going to look like for me once I've finished this course? And that does change. But if I answer exactly what you asked right now, it's I think there's a bigger picture here for me. It's not just going to be about necessarily doing one-on-one coaching with a client or with multiple clients, even though that may still be part of it. The word that's around me a lot at the moment and has a a heck of a lot of meaning to me is community. And so I just think there's something bigger. And, again, community these days, community is not just where you live and the people that are around you. Community, it can be online community. It can be, you know, it can just be the community of people I know, you know, like like which – is spread all over the place. Um, but I just think there's something with community involvement for me. So whether that's ended up ending up going to work or maybe even starting a charity or starting something that's going to allow people to be more um, included, like a more inclusive way in which we live is probably because we're getting very, very separate. Um, I'll probably just add in here that, I am involved with a Facebook group um, uh, as one of the admins on a group that's uh, we study a course in miracles, um, and that's led by um, Holly Holden, uh, Robert's wife, and I. I ha- I just believe because there's a couple of thousand people involved in that group. I I've just had this thought for a while, or something that's been living in me is about going and seeing some of these people wherever they live around the world mm-hmm. just to have a converse, just to have conversations with them and but in the sense not in the sense necessarily of coaching but in the sense of this community I actually want to speak to them about the community of being sorry of being in community online you know and because there's a lot of sharing goes on yeah but a lot of that's just through written text typed on a Facebook page. I'd love to go and meet these people. Not all of them. Well, who knows? Two and a half thousand people might be a bit of a stretch. <laughs> that's but, a, <laughs> one hell of a world tour, that is. Yeah, Yeah, that would be a world tour. But anyway, so there's something about community. Yeah, beautiful. Short. And you know what? What I really love, like I'm, I'm, I'm punching the air. Yes, yes. Because I love um, your relationship with not knowing. So I don't know whether that's changed whether you know your relationship to not knowing has changed um i'm guessing it probably has i know mine has is the more i've more i've looked in this in this direction of of um as 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 robert and louise hay always say you know life loves us and the more we see that the 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 more we see we we don't even need to know um but i just really love this how you how you are now just so natural and at ease with not knowing it's it's actually i can see you're actually even enjoying not knowing what's coming next look absolutely phil Uh, the only thing i will say about the not knowing for me i feel i'm fairly at ease with it as you say where i get challenged about me not knowing is when the people around me that care about me are not at ease with me not knowing. 
so I'm so what I did originally, even probably this time last year, and you know certainly well into the end of last year, I was just making up a story to placate the other people. You know, I was saying oh, I'm going to do A B C D E F G, and oh, they'd be like, oh, they'd be comfortable with that. But what I find now is I just tell people that I don't know what I'm going to be doing, and I find a lot of people are quite uncomfortable with that. Um, so, and, and I get it. Like it's you know, it's just a um, you know, we, we we're very sort of black and white. We need to know what's going on, but in the not knowing, it's not always easy. I have to say, there are days where it doesn't feel easy, but um, I, I'm trying to. I don't know whether I remember exactly the words that he said, but Jeff Foster basically, you know, talks about, and he's, he's not the only one, there's other traditions or whatever that talk about it, but Jeff Foster talks about that actually in being in a state of not knowing, you're in the greatest, um, what's the word I'm after? So in not knowing you're in the greatest potential for clarity there is because when we know something, we're so narrowly focused. Mm. So if I say I know I'm going to walk to the other side of the kitchen in a direct line, like I know that that's what's going to happen, that then precludes me from the possibility of anything else that's going on in the kitchen. You know, and that's just a very basic example. But, you know, there might be a chocolate cake on the left. But if I walk on the other side of the, you know, if I walk straight there, I've precluded myself from any other possibility because I've shut my mind down to any other possibility. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, in I don't know, everything's everything's a possibility. I, I, I you know, would describe it just in two words. No, K-N-O-W limits no limits and then you know to know does limit us which is exactly what you've just said i love that brenton time's flown by always love talking to you i'm so 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 grateful i can't put into words how grateful i am for you being willing to come on here and do something different to what i've been doing with previous episodes and you know talk to us from the other side of the fence which i think would be invaluable to people so i'm going to really put you on the spot now and ask you if you've got one message for coaches out there and how they can best be of service to their clients what might that be it's about staying completely and lovingly open to the possibilities of what the person is in front of you beautiful thank you so much Brendan it's been an absolute joy Thanks, Phil. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Brenton as much as I did. I so appreciate his willingness to come and share his experience of coaching as a client and his journey of personal development. He's been a fantastic client, not least because of his willingness to invest and not just financially, but energetically. I tip my hat at him spending 14 and a half hours on a plane to that Robert Holden event where we met in San Diego and the investment of 
all his energy, his willingness to explore beyond the ideas of himself, the openness to that, to have his bullshit called out so that he sees beyond it and enjoys oh, the freedom, the love, the joy beyond those ideas. If you listen carefully, there's a lot in here that will help coaches help their clients. And I'm sure there are things in here all of us can relate to. I loved his response to my asking about his return on investment. He said it wasn't quantifiable at all, and also that it was hard to put into words simply because of the enormity of it. And this is such a powerful point for coaches to consider. We are not selling something quantifiable, yet so many coaches put a lot of energy into the whole money piece. We've said it on previous episodes. Our fees really have no relation to the impact of our coaching. So we may as well just make something up that works for both of us, works for us and our clients. And then there's that message Brenton had for coaches at the end. Stay completely and lovingly open to what the person is in front of you. This is something that really excites me anytime I'm talking with anyone, their potential for change and creation, their potential for love and transformation. Being inspired by the potential in them is so much more enjoyable than ruminating over our own perceived limitations as a coach. What are you going to take away from this conversation? I'd love to hear from you. What's the one thing you've heard today that you'll turn into action? Come and share that in the Coaching Life podcast group on Facebook. There's a link in the program notes or message me directly. And each month I'll be selecting someone from listeners like you to have a follow-up conversation that may well be featured in a future episode of this podcast. So what's your one takeaway from today and what will you do with that? If you're enjoying this podcast, please pop along to iTunes and leave a brief, honest review. It will take less than a minute and help other people like you find this podcast and get an opportunity to enjoy these conversations too. And finally, one more thing. Right now, plans are in progress for a Coaching Life live event in London later this year. If you want to get in on the details of that as soon as they're available, drop me an email to phil at philg.com. I'm so looking forward to it, connecting with some of you in person more on that soon okay okay i've talked long enough thank you once again for listening i wish you much love and joy